I'm Eamon. And I'm Merlin. And we're gay. And his and B. And it's our first podcast. It's finally here. The wait is finally over. Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, Hey, Eamon, you mind doing a rundown on kind of what we're doing here? Yeah, so we got together at a certain point. I actually had the idea in my mind to do a podcast. It was literally ruminating. And I was like, oh, Merlin's not going to be for this. And then literally the the day where it was like the biggest like thing in my brain, you came up to me and was like, hey, what if we do a podcast? Yeah, I didn't even know you had actually thought about that beforehand. It, That's kind of It's a great uh, uh, turn of events how that all turned out. But we are doing a podcast about everything that we love just in terms of, I would say, media, pop culture, um, everything that's gay, gay adjacent. Basically, all the conversations that we have in our living room, uh, we are putting in front of a microphone and giving to all of you in the hopes that you will enjoy it. I mean, I certainly enjoy it, but, you know, we're an audience of... But, you, you know, know, you know, people can be uh, <laughs> uh, very critical, but we'll see. We'll see how this goes. And, and um, But I'm excited to sort of, like, take these conversations that uh, we get, get into and sort of translate them into this environment and sort of have this uh, platform to do this, so... Thank you all for listening to us. I know we've been uh, teasing this for a little while now. If you follow us on our social medias uh, everywhere at a gay and his envy, um, uh, we're just really excited to be here and really excited to be finally putting on this episode after all this time. All right. So today uh, we're going to be talking about um, pretty much this whole last season of uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, because that uh, season ended this week. Uh, We haven't gotten the reunion yet. That's in the next couple weeks, but uh, we'll definitely be talking about the whole season leading up to that, Um, including the Jin Shaw of it all. Of course. The thing Um, that's on everyone's mind, the the scandal of the century. uh, Right. Um, We're also going to be talking about uh, Real Housewives of Potomac. Uh, The season so far, this is what, season seven of that show? Uh, so up until the current uh, episode, and then, of course, next week we'll be doing episode by episode. Um, we also uh, will be covering the viral meme sensation that is Megan. Um, that movie has a grip on my soul. What a great way to start off the podcast in terms of a gay cultural moment. Oh, but see, we're not even starting uh, the show with that, we're going to start with the other phenomenal thing in gay culture, which is RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> because there is not enough podcasts and not enough people talking about Drag Race. <laughs> it's such a unique thing that uh, we can uh, talk about. But no, we're going to get into season 15 that just uh, premiered uh, this past Thursday, or excuse me, this past Friday. Um, and if you've been paying attention on our social media, you have already seen our toot and boots of both the entrance looks of all 16 queens and the looks from the uh, main stage um, from this episode as well. Um, we will be doing all of our tooting and booting separately from this podcast so that we can really spend our time diving into um, more of the drama and what not that's going on. And it does seem like it's going to be a pretty dramatic season. I mean, I think there was, at least in terms of what we're seeing from like the press events and the, uh, the hype of everything is that these girls aren't playing around. And we see, we saw it a little bit in the beginning of this uh, episode (laughs) and the, I'm sure it'll get even spicier in the five months or however long it takes for the season to end, because 
if it's anything like last season. <laughs> well, and that's what's crazy, too. It's 16 queens, right? The most that they've ever had, which... Which, I honestly, if they're eliminating someone every episode, I don't mind 16 queens. And that's a big if. Uh, that is a big if. But I also feel like, you know, the bigger that drag... Well, I guess let's just get into it. Yeah, let's Drag get... race, right? So the bigger that these that the show gets, the more episodes the company or the the um, networks want to get out of them, the more they want to pull from them for ads and all of that stuff. So, um, and now it, that they've moved on to MTV, which I know <laughs> really stuck in your crawl, that we're on a completely different network now. It's so irritating because it's not available to stream anywhere. You have to have cable. Like, and it's on every cable subscription. You can't get away from MTV when it comes to cable, but it's not on any streaming service. And all these people who have gone and gotten the different streaming services throughout the years to list or to watch Drag Race are sitting here with like four different subscriptions that they don't use anymore sure. that they got to watch Drag Race, and now they can't use them. And also, I mean, if the news is of what's being reported as well, that they are cutting down from an hour and a half to an hour in order to make a, a, a you know, a, basically a whole night of gay content with that whole Real Friends of WeHo, which I'm sorry, no one's watching. Nobody's watching the real <laughs> twinks of WeHo. Like, it's I just... <sighs> and and I, it's such a, it's so frustrating because I... I, I Brad Goreski, I, I was I saw him in the promo leading up to it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be, you know. And then once you see Todrick, it's just like, no, we're not, we're not playing this Why game. Why are we getting I don't him know. a platform? Well, it, it's also like if I knew also the other half of them, then maybe. But it's and also if it's going to cut into Drag Race, but I hope they don't go back to where it used to be, where they would cut down on the on the um, the runways and like shorten them to like fit into an hour time slot. Oh, especially once we get to like the ball challenge oh, and, God. and they're going to edit down snatch game to be, because I already looked snatch game is like episode three or four this season. Really? It's a huge, huge episode. How are they going to fit all of that in? If they're only doing an hour episode to fit in the real twinks of WeHo. It's a big mistake. But anyways, let's get into sort of a, uh... Our first impressions. It was a double episode, technically. Uh, and they, they have been doing lately these sort of like split premieres in terms of splitting the cast and, and get, which I do enjoy because it gives you more time to sort of get to know people. But um, they didn't really do it the same way this, this time. They did split entrances, but the whole cast was together pretty much the whole episode. Right. I think also it was, I think there were a lot of people really satisfied that we've got a, an elimination the first episode because the worries of, you know, technically, everything that though, happened last season. Technically, though, it was still the second episode when we got our first elimination. Sure. We haven't had a first episode elimination since, like, season eight. It's, uh, it's, anyways, let's get into, let's get into these queens and get into, you know, because I think there's a lot of really great characters this season. Um, you know, uh, I really, obviously, uh, Sasha Colby uh, being the oh. drag legend that she is coming in and really just kind of, like, it's always great seeing someone come in where the, everyone just recognizes, oh, this person's amazing from the from the giddy up. Um, there are a lot of good people, like just shady queens. Like uh, I think Irene was very shady. Lux, we got into this whole discussion, this whole episode about for, uh, whether or not Lux's hair was 40 inches. It was not. It was 33 at the most. But I do think that 
I will say credit to Daya Betty from last season of, I, I really do hope that she ushered in this ability for these queens to finally just sort of be there, there themselves and not have to worry about the pressures of like being the villain of the show. Because I think we had, I would say at least like four or five of this first couple episodes where they're clearly willing to be bitches without the fear that they're going to get death threats and that they're going to, you know, have to be, you know, it's, it's such a mess. And so, and, but the, to me, that's why Drag Race in the first place was such a great reality show concept in the fact that drag queens are naturally great reality stars because they are so shady. And, and, and I think that's incredibly important to the success of the franchise. Yeah, and it all started changing, honestly, for me, season four, or not really season four, but like after season four when Fifi really got attacked sure. for everything that happened that season. And... Everything, everybody's been terrified to be the villain um, since then. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, I, I, like you, I'm hoping that this season changes that. So who stood out for you in the maxi challenge this week? Oh, were we talking to, to the uh, talent show or are we talking the, uh, the, photo, the mini challenge photo shoot? You know what? Let's uh, do the uh, let's go ahead and do the mini challenge. Because I was gonna say they they uh, they split the premiere, but they gave each of the splits basically two old photo shoot challenges from past seasons. Uh, the basically get sprayed with a bunch of water in front of a car, and then also get uh, blown uh, with uh, with wind and a and bunch debris of debris. And, <laughs> and you know, I and this is always a great, I think, classic drag race challenge of just immediately throwing them into some situation that's really treacherous. Oh, and we cannot get through the mini challenge without talking about the fact that Spice oh my God. took her wig off and put on a shower cap. Do you also think, like, I, because there's a lot of discussion of, like, what they get informed of before the show. Did she think she was do, doing the water one? And like she was I mean, like, well, I got the shower cap anyways. I might as well do. But Rue looked like she wanted to kill her. Look, if and the queens are not ready to go through hell in that first photo shoot, then they have never seen the show before, and they don't need to be there. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of that, so the other big twist of the season, I, I is, and I guess the big selling point going into the season is the reason that we have 16 queens, I would say, is in part because we have a pair of twins competing for the first time. Right. And they are competing separately, but I'm worried. Thoughts? <laughs> look, they, Your initial thoughts on When every Spice? look that we have had, including their runway look from this episode, when every look is derivative of each other, right. not necessarily mirrored, right, but they're definitely takes on a theme and they're both pulling from the same location it's it's worrisome and when we get into more in-depth runways and in-depth challenges that where things are the theme is going to be a bit more specific i just don't know how they're going to because i'm sure they're getting the same designers i'm sure they're getting you know everything working together i can only imagine and i know i mentioned this to you um before but you know I really hope that they didn't get the same designer. I really hope that they took their list of required outfits and went different directions with them. And the only thing that's similar is this first episode and the promo stuff. I really hope that they were setting their brand as twins 
in this first episode. Because they definitely have a brand. Yes, they do. And <laughs> we'll get yeah, to that. Look, they're huge on TikTok for what they do. And we will get to the social media of it all with Queens. Because um, I think that's a good discussion to have. But it's, yeah, social media Queens get a bad rap. I think it's also the... You know, one of them is going to naturally have to differentiate themselves because they're both not going to be able to win the competition. It's, you know, I think a lot of people are making the cross-reference to America's Next Top Model when they had a season with twins on. And and unless one of them is able to, like, definitively differentiate themselves from the other, that's the only way that they're going to be yeah. successful at the end of the day. And when your brand is so much built on you look the same, you act the same, you lip sync the same like i don't know, know how you do that and you know these shady producers are just waiting for an excuse to put them in the bottom two so we can have them lip sync and send one of them home i mean that's literally I, that's dra- the whole point of booking the twins if there's one thing about drag race and how they produce their shows subtlety is not one of the the key no uh, no components. Drag queens don't do subtle anyway sure but i think also you know there they were a lot these first two episodes I was getting very much Laganja vibes from both of them. I think even Selena called out on their entrance about um, the sort of rehearsal of it all and how they kind of have, they don't feel lived, I guess, so to speak. I think that's partly, I don't think, and I think they attributed that to their being social media queens or, or TikTok queens. I think it's much more in the sense that they're twins. They're very, they're very stereotypical twins. They're the twins that have only been friends with each other their whole lives, and so they don't really have that sort of like sure social interaction. But with other I people. will say that there, I was going to save this for when we were talking about Untucked, but there's a, um, you know, there's this argument that social media queens are not as good or as well versed as queens who have spent their lives in the clubs. Right. right. Um, in the typical drag scene. But with the pandemic, every queen, in order to stay relevant, had to become a social media queen. And they had to be well versed in something that they had never gotten into before. And some of these queens didn't start like Sugar and Spice. Some of these queens didn't start drag until during the pandemic and they didn't have another option. I think that's part of it. I also think like I think Lux Noir London made a really good point on the episode about like a lot of them are also very young and they started drag at a time in which they can go into clubs because of their age. So getting that sort of foreground to sort of start in the in this field. I think as long as you're focusing on every aspect of, you know, your drag I think it's perfectly valid and fine. Um, but I also understand where it's like someone like Malaysia baby doll Fox is coming from as somebody who, and this is, she has talked about how she also is, you know, a makeup artist to celebrities and she's gotten into certain fields. I'm sure as a gay person, you know, especially it's much harder. You have to work 10 times harder when you don't have that sort of front facing um, look on you when a network can't, you know, look at your, uh, Twitter following or your TikTok following and say, well, that person has something. Let's bring them on. I, right. I, I think it's valid in multiple ways. I also got to say that they are playing really fast and loose with the term viral. I feel on this show <laughs> at one point, princess Poppy says that she is most known for being viral for her 
uh, TikTok video where she ha- had her dress that said, I'm homophob- homophobic. I'm like, that went vi- I don't know what that is. I didn't see it. <laughs> there, like, is what is viral can be like a couple thousand. There has to be like a metric, guys. Like, right. Uh, anyways. But, um, main, main challenge. Let's move yes. on to Maxi Challenge. Who stood out to you there? So this was the talent show. And this was a, uh, all, all 16 queens in this talent show. Um, which I was very worried about at the start. Um, and I will say also, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I think clearly uh, the top talent of the night was Anitra's. Oh, clearly. I think, you know, I, I've been, that video has been going viral for days now in, of her performance from the show. And it is just so high energy, so, um, so entertaining. And I think, they made a good point later in the episode of the queens that were successful in this challenge where as much they, I don't think they're calling it a talent show anymore. I think they're just calling it a variety show, I guess, because most queens now are just bringing on an original song and I mean, thinking, but where's the variety? Sure. I mean, 14 out of the 16 queens did lip syncs. Yes. But like, I think the queens that did well were ones that mixed some element of, of traditional actual talent. Like, Jax with her gymnastics, Marsha with her um, ball- uh, ballet background, like having certain elements woven in there to where it's something different than just you performing a song, because there's really only so much you can do with that. Right. Um, um, clearly, there were also negative standouts. Oh, poor Irene. I felt so bad. Because you could tell that was part of a larger bit, and it just wasn't landing. Yeah, she, like, I think, explained on the pit stop of, like, this is a bit that I do in clubs, but I had to, like, truncate it for, like, a minute. Oh, yeah, because they only get a minute, right? Yeah. For the talent show, especially with 16 queens. They got to get through it. I was at first like, okay, what is this? Once she started, like, fit, fiddling with the ice cubes with her nails because she couldn't pick them up, I was like, okay, I get what she's trying to do. And yeah. then... It just didn't there it needs to be more prolonged to sort of make more of a joke out of it right and, and there's just not time to do a prolonged gag like that no it's it's that was the only frustrating thing um we met we, also to some of the better uh, ones as well I also want to give credit to Jack's jumping rope with her hair which was phenomenal absolutely stunning I think I I've, I've heard great things about Jack's and and she was on, one of the few that I had heard of going into this season. And uh, she's known for a lot of her lip syncs and a lot of her acrobatics and stuff like that. She was very quiet most of the episode. We didn't really get a lot of like confessionals and like any sort of dialogue necessarily with her. But it was good to see even with that, someone perform very well and sort of like really nail it. Um, I wasn't expecting Marsha to pull out a ballet-inspired um, interpretive dance-like thing. Yeah. That was... Really thought, good and unexpected. And I thought she, there was also a lot of discussion of like who was going to be the next Willow Pill after last season and her performance. Um, I guess Marsha's was the closest to that, but it was a little, it wasn't as insane. I mean, they're different queens. I mean, the, I mean, I understand we are comparing queens because we, uh, we have to compare it to something we understand. That's human nature, like obviously, but. I also think that trying to find the next Willow Pill, quote unquote, is kind of toxic. Yeah. Can, but that's can, the community. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if there's one thing about the gay community, we are toxic. Um, what did you think of Sugar and Spice's performance? I, I had thought, thoughts. <laughs> I thought Spice's was 
good and at least it had the the goth edge to it but i don't know if you noticed it was the same track that's what i i it literally like it was both the same of their- track same rhyme scheme they literally went to the same school of making generalization drag rap and did that and like same mo- I am, I feel like, and I'm glad that you pointed it out too, because I felt like this whole week when I was watching like everyone's thoughts on the episode, like I felt like I was the only one that wasn't feeling sugar and spice. This everyone online is just like, oh, they really defied the expectations. Everyone can, you know, it wasn't bad. It was catchy. Everything was catchy. Everything was good, but I just didn't feel like they had necessarily a stage presence that were that uh allowed rue to sort of crack up for as much as she as she did uh for the performance and i do i was just shocked that they didn't get called out for having incredibly similar performances yeah um yeah i i give them like what five maybe six episodes before they put those two in the bottom together to it's got to happen sooner. Because they're than kind of middle of the pack right now. So I some of the lower cards will have to get weeded out before they really get down there. Yeah. So uh, in the tops for the episode, we had Marsha, uh, Anitra, and Jax. And then in the bottoms, Irene, as you mentioned before. Uh, we had Amethyst. Uh, again, similar to Irene's. I think didn't really flesh out the bit as much as she could. And then Lucy LaDuca, who... I you know I I think they were right to say she has the talents to sing live. I think it was just a bad choice in terms yeah, of adding the live singing to the mediocre dancing was a bad call. It should have been cut the dancing and up the vocals or just do a lip sync because what she did was neither well. Yeah. Can I also I wanted to make also a note about some of the judging. Uh the, there was one thing that I was really annoyed by and you and I have had those discussions. Um the critiques on Marsha's makeup were really annoying. I've to me. seen this all over the internet too, and the entire world is frustrated with that judging. So basically, Good. okay, um, the judges read Marsha for using too little makeup. Well, you got her on the show because of that makeup. That's why you cast her. So why are you out of the gate reading her for what she does? I just feel like a lot of the stuff I hated. It's also, you know, I hated the critiques of Bosco last season in terms of her silhouette and stuff like 1, that. One thousand percent. I think they really don't understand that, that, that part of sometimes with drag is you have your shtick and you have your, and yes, you need to diversify and all that stuff, but sometimes you have your go-tos and what makes you unique as a performer. It was just very similar to the um, Courtney act critique of like, well, we know you're very pretty, but we like I don't understand why a cut crease is needed for somebody to be a drag queen. Also, a cut crease on Marsha Brady lookalike. Right. Really? As her much, stick is Marsha Brady. As like, much as I do agree that Marsha this episode needed to like diversify her looks because they were very similar throughout the episode. I just feel like if you're not do the idea that if you're not doing a big eye and like giant cut crease, do, that you're not, you know, doing drag or that you need to do that. Like, why does she need to look crazy when she has all of these qualities? It's like when you're critiquing someone with a silhouette of someone who has really good legs. They should show off the legs. Why are we not praising them for knowing their body, knowing their assets, and and using it to their advantage? I also, with the judging, was really just annoyed by Ross this whole episode. I mean, I'm always annoyed by Ross. Let's be real. Why is he still on this panel? You were trying to give H2O, but it was H2O. I was like, I'm... I almost turned the TV off. I was done. 
I was so I mean, done. RuPaul sounds more genuine next to him. He sounds so canned. Put him on the true friends of whatever. <laughs> what did you call it? True drinks of we know? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, oh, Anitra wins. Congratulations to her. Very well deserved. Bottom two is Irene and Amethyst, and they lip sync to Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. I thought it was a good lip sync. I good. thought it was fine for episode one. Irene was doing some weird stuff with her lips. Um, it was very pronounced. I think the this was definitely a lip sync where it's like if they edited it a different way, they could have gotten a different result ne- necessarily because I think it was pretty even. Sure. And I really liked Eileen. Um, sp- <laughs> I mean, not spoiler alert, but I, she gets eliminated. You, you liked Irene too. Yeah. <laughs> <You> said Eileen. <laughs> oh, did I say Eileen? <laughs> I liked Irene. Sorry. There's... 80 million queens on this show. <laughs> and much of them with three or four names. So um, I really liked Irene on the show, but as far as the challenge and the lip sync is concerned, she clearly lost, I felt, to Amethyst. Yeah, I think it was the right decision. And they critiqued um, Amethyst's padding, which I think was fair. Um, and I feel like that's also a thing that can be fixed throughout the competition. And, you know, you can still improve on things as opposed to like, when they had Vanjie on season 11, we're just like, hey, you brought the same silhouette for every outfit. Well, can't fix that. Yeah, like there's nothing I could do. Well, then send me home and I'll see you on All Stars, I guess. I don't know what to do. I- <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah. So Irene goes home very sad. Um, but congrats to Amethyst for saying. And honestly, I thought this was a really good episode. Really good first start. Um, I'm hope, like we said, I hope it doesn't go too crazy in terms of length. I hope they start eliminating some people. Um, yeah. But overall, not too bad. Uh, do we want to move on to some uh, Real Housewives uh, discussions and topics? Uh, we sure do. But first, we are going to take a short break uh, to hear a few words from our sponsor. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And, and I'm the Riz. And, and you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the Wrestling Man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to A Gay and His Envy. We are going to get into our Housewives section, uh, starting with Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, pretty much all of season three. Uh, We just had the finale uh, this week. and uh, This season, my God. (laughs) I mean, it's been a weird one. Salt Lake City is always a bit of a trip, but I think a lot of the discussion online has been very down on this season, which I kind of understand um the ratings have been not as great as they once were i don't know what that's sort of attributed to but i honestly 
I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that everyone knew going into this season that Jen Shaw pled guilty. There wasn't there wasn't much of a cliffhanger in terms of everything that happened. So right, all the tension that has been built throughout season one and season two. Season one was everybody questioning where she got her money. Right. Right. Season two is the arrest of it all. Right. And the case is she going to go to jail? Is she not? This season, everybody already knew. <laughs> It's it's a it's a lot. And and you mentioned it obviously the big thing is Jen Shaw and uh just I think last week at some point was when her final sentencing in her fraud case. January sixth. It's a infamous <laughs> day here what in a day. the US. The premiere of Drag Race and Jen Shaw's sentencing, a day that will live in infamy January sixth. <laughs> um but no, so she has been sentenced to six and a half years in prison for defrauding elderly people. In and honestly, if they had waited till the finale, she might have got the full 11. You were saying this. It was a drastic change. They, She is lucky that they didn't air all of season three a week earlier because it would have been much harsher in my view. Honestly, like she takes no accountability in this finale. And eh, all I've been reading the transcripts from the, the sentencing and, and the text messages, by the way, that uh, were pretty damning in terms of uh, her knowledge of events. And, and with uh, Coach Shaw's involvement with everything that nobody out here knew about, I didn't know about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very... And then the fact that she took all of that money from her mother. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I almost, I got, like, there are times when we're watching these shows where I just have to sort of get up out of my chair and just walk around a little bit. That was definitely one of those moments where I was just like, she literally took out like her retirement, like depleted her retirement, took out loans on her house under the belief that her daughter was innocent and that her daughter kept telling her that she was going to fight this and she was innocent, telling her friends on the show and telling the cameras on this show up until the min the minute it seemed that she was not going to take a plea, and was the la- and being the last holdout, it's just like come on. It was just it was a lot. But so this whole season, uh, Jen is kind of a mess. <laughs> she's yelling as she well. She I was gonna say she's yelling, but that's kind of normal with Jen as we've seen throughout the show. Um, and the big thing also it's. It, if the anything with Jen, what's happening to Jen, you know, she's going to serve her time and all that. And it's, you know, she's going to pay her penance. I think she has to like pay like $9 million in restitution, which is crazy. And I mean, justified, but crazy. Um, I think the only thing it really bleeds into this season is like Heather and Meredith and their sort of friendship with Jen. Uh, but particularly Heather, I feel... S- part of me feels really bad for Heather this season because it's like, girl, you just have no self-esteem. Yeah, but then she's using, like, she has gotten some self-esteem because then she goes off on Whitney. Well, yes, but I think she, we'll get into the Heather and Whitney aspect of it, but just, like, there's so much where it's, like, you could tell Heather really lets people get taken advantage, uh, take advantage of her in terms of her friendship. We've seen it across the show with Jen. I don't know a lot of people who would call me Shrek or a manatee and I would just continue to be oh, friends with them even after just, all that's been going on. But I think that makes sense as to why she would lash out in someone like Whitney in terms of like, it's you, you, the biggest reactions are for the people who, as much as I've had my issues with Whitney, Whitney this season, um, she's part of it is also because she's afraid of Jen. 
I think in many ways. I think while, you know, not the culpability is different, it's very similar to what's happened at Beverly Hills with Erica and sort of the intimidation that she brings to certain people in their ability to call her out on things. I mean, Jen, it's almost worse because she just threatens to kill you and fight you all the time. <laughs> um, which is in a more than once occurrence on this show. Um, but it just, and, and also Heather talks all the time about being like this ride or die friend. And it's like, okay, but then you're like saying one thing in one sequence and then another thing in another, she'll like bash, not bash Jen, but like rightfully like take it to Jen in terms of how Jen treats her. And then once Dana is like, let's call this out. It's like, no, nah, let's stay, let's be quiet. It's like, there's no real backbone. Also, let's just put it out there. I am really sure that Jen is the one that hit her, uh, Heather. Oh, duh. That black eye came from Jen, and Heather is protecting her. I think that's the only logical conclusion other than this is some, like, made-up, like... And she was afraid of making the thing... Honestly, I don't understand why she hasn't said something now that Jen has pled guilty and we see at the very end of the finale uh here how heather's uh view of jen has drastically taken a 180 um but in the days following her her plea um but then also in the press heather has still been her ride or die this whole heather time was still partying with her at BravoCon. like <laughs> like there's that's where i get really frustrated i've i've been a heather fan most of this franchise and i think a lot of people have but there's just something about like this like tail end of this season where a lot of the sort of insecurities but also just the backhandedness we talked you talked about the black guy and how that ate up like three episodes this season but i don't want to talk about it but i'm going to talk about it constantly but i don't know who did it but i definitely know who did it i'm going to imply that somebody did it and spiders but also, laid I don't, eggs in my eye but also i don't want to talk about it everything about that was just frustrating to no end and i think it's also the issue with salt lake city salt lake city feels like a parody in many ways of housewives it, so you can just see the wheels turning all the time and I think that's the other thing when it comes to the, you were mentioning the Heather and Whitney stuff. Yeah, um, obviously, these were two people who were close friends through most of the season. Cousins, um, obviously, insult like the whole Mormonism of it all is too in-depth and, and, and sticky to get into. Um, Look, I was raised a Protestant, and I'm a pagan now, so I'm not going anywhere near Mormonism. Nope. I don't know much about it other than... You know, what I've seen from Salt Lake, honestly, so... But the frustration in terms of their, like, sort of broken friendship and and the shifting of it, I was very Team Heather the first half of this season in regards to this, and Whitney, while I credit her for trying to, you know, overcome this trauma that she's rediscovering, uh, which we don't really know in detail. Hopefully we'll get more detail at the reunion. Um but just the way she tries to make it, I just did not understand her trying to like, oh, my trauma is why I stir up mess on this show and why I, you know, go, you know, try to tell uh, the world that Lisa uh, gave blowjobs for jazz tickets. <laughs> <laughs> like, it didn't make any sense at all. And Heather was getting pulled into it in a way that I do agree. It was like, leave me out of this. Why do I, what do I have to do with this? You're drunk. You literally need to go to bed right now. Um, and so for that part, I blamed Whitney, but now like this like second, ever since the black eye part of it, I'm just like, 
Heather, what is up with you? Like, neither of them are pristine in this fight, but neither of them are 100% the bad guy. They have both done wrong in this relationship, and I honestly feel like they just kind of need to go, okay, the past is the past. Let's start over today. Sure. But and just be done, because... And we got a whole Ultimate they're... Girls Trip still to come where they're still... A... Oh, my God. I forgot they were on Ultimate Gold, uh, Girls Trip together. Jeez. Yeah, they're, and so it's, it's still going to go on. I think... I, but they also... That's my frustration with Salt Lake, and I think people's frustration with this season is that they also talk in this, like, code language. Every, they, I, they don't Are you talk... talking about the fact that um, nobody can say the E-vowel correctly or E-vowel There's correctly? There's that. But that, that's, that's... I'm talking about my feelings. That's back into Mormonism and back into the whole <laughs> Salt Lake of it all. But no, like, every, I wish they were just blunt with each other. Both her and... Both Heather and Whitney love to talk in these, like, metaphors. That it's just like, just talk like a human being, like... And well, also, the metaphors seem to always be around the fact that, like, their friendship was based on the fact that they kept targeting Lisa for the last two seasons. And that's more than anything where it's like, I'm a bit of a Lisa Barlow stan and a Lisa Bar- Barlow apologist. And, and honestly, after this season, I am too. Because... I, think that, I think there's a lot of valid points that Lisa's making in terms of, like... The fact that Heather is so mad that Whitney is now friends with Lisa, even though Heather has made attempts to be friends with Lisa this season, while also, it's, it's a lot. Um, it, but, I, you know, the structure of Housewives a lot of the time, we, there are alliances and there are, you know, workings in the back. We see that a lot with Beverly Hills this past season. Um, but we as the viewers shouldn't see the wheels turning. This should be something that's a lot more coy and a lot more, you know, done smartly and i just feel like with salt lake it's everything is so calculated oh yeah and it's why i think it's a turning off but I, I think that a lot i mean not specifically due to mormonism but you know um just anybody who feels like they have to keep up appearances sure that is the way that they operate whether that is because of religion or because of social status or whatever um, when you are in an environment where everything is based on appearances, everything is calculated, everything is planned out in the back of your head. And I think in a place like Salt Lake City and Utah, really, in general, where the religion and the social status are intertwined so inextricably, right. like, it's, it's impossible to navigate those waters, especially when, like both Whitney and... And um, Heather, they've both left the Mormon church at this point. So they're both kind of fallen out with a lot of society. And they're trying to scramble and get back to a place of needing and you they, know, validation. And they both have a lot of self-esteem issues. I, 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 as we talked about Heather's earlier, but I would say Whitney has probably the same. I, there was a lot of talk this season of like, I don't want to be the pawn anymore. And I don't want to do everyone's bidding, even though her doing of the of people's bidding is really just of her own making. Lisa Barlow can't force you to like blame Meredith for uh, or for Jen going to prison. Like it's, you know. But they both have insecurities and and trauma, god that word. 
Oh, Jamie <laughs> Lee not, Curtis. Let's I not get you. into it. Let's not get into it. Trauma. Uh, to where I think they are very self-conscious of th- of themselves and then project that onto each other and particular and, and also project that onto Lisa Barlow. And as Lisa Barlow would say, I'm a very good person. <laughs> Lisa Barlow is an amazing person. So let's get into the Lisa and Meredith of it all. We've touched on Lisa. Am I? Is it bad that I'm more over this part than the Heather and Whitney stuff? I feel like the the honestly the general like dialogue is very uh, over this whole like Heather Whitney saga. To me, it's this Lisa Meredith stuff, and I am fully Team Lisa. And I think Meredith is just being ridiculous at this oh, point. Oh, one thousand percent. Like clearly, honestly, it all leads back to the stupid like hot mic moment at the end of last season. Um. Where Lisa she was called her a garbage the, whore, garbage whore, you know, slept with half of New York City, yada, 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 all of that stuff, which clearly was wrong, right? Obviously. But number one, she was venting in what she thought was a private moment, didn't realize that she was still miked. Um, she specifically went into a room and shut the door. So she didn't realize she was still being film and meredith makes the point of like oh well if you look there's a producer when you look into the mirror it's like you know what but you have cameras everywhere you're on a reality show there are producers everywhere why does that make it also usually when you're speaking directly to the producer that doesn't go to air right i and i just and i've said this to you before and and just my thing of just like was the lisa barlow hot mic moment a shocking moment 100 percent gag worthy fabulous loved it but in the however many the over decade long history of the Real Housewives, is this really the worst thing that Absolutely has been said on not. this program? Like, we are acting as though this was like irreparable damage that Lisa Barlow. Like, we're acting as if like she punched Brooks in the face. To be fair, we are not. Nobody believes that, but Meredith. Well, and then Meredith. As much as, and here's the thing, I actually liked Meredith the first half of this season in sort of her sort of bringing it back to Lisa of like, oh, well, if you're going to do this, I'm going to fire back a little bit and talk about how, you know, there are rumors going around that you're doing sexual favors for Vita Tequila sales. That's, you know, that's housewives. She sat there and manipulated Whitney into saying things when Uh, she was the, oh. I wouldn't go that far. That's a whole discussion. No, absolutely not. She was. I completely am on Whitney's side on that, um, in that Meredith says things in a way to goad things out of you. She will drop a, a hint and speak around something and wait for you to actually name it. And then when it comes back to that thing being named and who put it out there, then she blames it on you. Well, I think more than anything is that in the, oh God, in the words of the dearly departed Lisa Rinna, um, she doesn't own dearly? it. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't own anything, though. If she would just have this season own the fact that she was fighting fire with fire and, and going to you know, say rumors about Lisa in the same way she felt that Lisa was saying it about her, fine. I would have honestly supported that. It's housewives. That's what happens. But the fact that she does this and then makes it seem like she wasn't doing it and that it was on a completely different level than what Lisa did, even though Lisa did it in a private room and she's doing it directly in front of cameras. Like, I just, there's a double standard. And I think uh, at the goddess party a couple episodes ago, I think Lisa called it out really perfectly. And that's where I'm just like, at this point, you 
either need to own what you're doing and embrace it. And I'm sure if she did, people would really get behind her. Like there were people cheering her on when she had that I love I heart New York hat to make fun of the comments. But like either own it or, you know, I just, it's frustrating because you could be a big star and Meredith has this tendency across this franchise to just sort of like, you know, classically disengage and classically make the prolong something to a degree in which it just doesn't become fun anymore. Yeah. Um, speaking of people that uh, manipulate um, events to their own, um, their own ends, let's move on to Real Housewives of Potomac oh, and Jesus. this bullshit with uh, Candace v. Giselle and well, I mean, well, Robin is kind of you're right, only halfway culpable at this point. Yeah, so this season Potomac's been really great, and I think Potomac has been for the last couple of years, I think, a top tier franchise. I mean, this is a you know, you look back at season one, I don't think they really thought much of Potomac in terms of what they could be for the network, but I think Potomac's really bringing in uh, what needs to be brought in, and I got to to what you were saying. I'm fully team Candace this season. And that is shocking for me to say. I was. I've always been team Candace for the record. Write that down. I have liked Candace. I think there's a lot of elements of Candace that I really liked. And there were just elements that were really frustrating me in terms of some of her behavior. And I've said this before about how I tend to honestly agree with her on many issues in regards to stuff that happens on the show. But she then takes it to such a level to where you can't really support her after that. It's like, yes, you are correct that Ashley is messy and that her husband's a creep, but you don't need to say that she has a wide body after she's given birth. <laughs> you, because then you can't defend her after that. But Candace actually... to make fun of her forehead. Yes. <laughs> Candace has gotten better th- th- this, though this season. Like, she's really, like, diseng- disengaged when she knows she's going to take things to a more, like, you know, a level that she can't come back from. Um, and has been amazing in the confessionals this season. Like she is just giving like line after line. she's honestly on at times beating Karen in terms of the confessionals. And that's crazy to say, cause I love Karen's confessionals. Yeah. I mean, just the, the not today neck, <laughs> not, not to- today. Oh, just, oh we don't God. have it. Um, I love that woman. But as you were mentioning the stuff with Candace and particularly Giselle. So, can't, we kind of knew this going into the season because there was stuff going on on Twitter and, and in the blogs and stuff like that of what was transpiring. Oh, no, the blogs. But honestly, I, I good on Candace. I think, if anything, like Candace and Chris getting ahead of this sort of helped define the narrative on it properly. Um, so at a certain point during the season, um, Ashley, who is, uh, we'll talk later, is just recently oh, divorced. Talks to Robin about how she got this DM from Chris on Instagram about um, meeting her him at the W, which is a hotel that he is the general manager of. At like two in the morning. And also, I, I'm glad that Robin also like clarifying that like it's not a DM. You responded. He responded to a story on Instagram. Also, this the is thing. the restaurant that he uh, manages, and he was getting off of work. At that time. That's why he responded in the middle of the night. And responded to a story of Ashley partying with some of her friends and being like, hey, I could basically saying you should have come to the W because I would have let you in for free. Right. Because obviously, like coming to the W, especially when you're one of the housewives, that's bringing 
notoriety to his restaurant that him alone being there does not do. And that's good for business. So Robin, of course, after having this conversation with Ashley, brings it up to Giselle, her best friend. And then Giselle then suddenly starts to bring up this story about uh, the last year's reunion and how Chris was really upset after um, the stuff with Nicki Minaj and, and Candace happened at the reunion and he was frustrated and uh, whether either he or asked to talk to Giselle or vice versa, that's, we're not sure, but they eventually go into Giselle's uh, hotel room. Now to clarify, I think to say like, oh, we went to their hotel room. That's their staging area. For so the- when they do the reunions, usually it's in a ballroom of some hotel. And the, when they have their makeup artists come in to do their makeup and, and whatever, they basically just rent out a bunch of rooms in the hotel and do them in there. And so it's, yes, a, technically a hotel room, but it is being used for their makeup. And Like nobody's staying there overnight. By her account, like basically in everything that Giselle describes, Chris has a conversation of, with her where he's just, fr- she says, he, says he's like frustrated with his wife or something whatever, but that he doesn't make any like actual implicit pass on her, but that just the generalness of that. She feels she felt uncomfortable by it because she thought her makeup team was going to be in there and they weren't. And like, there's also a lot of disputing facts in terms of like the actual details. Chris is saying certain other things, but it's also just meant to sort of imply that Chris is doing something nefarious. Right. And, it is so incredibly frustrating. And Giselle does this all the time. And, you, and you've been more of a Giselle fan in the past. And, and, and I like her because she's shady and she's fun. But I feel like on this moment, she has gone way too far. And it's gone from being a fun level of shady to a level of shady that can ruin someone's life if you're not careful. Sure. And I think that, and I agree that I, I find Giselle fun in many cases. But I think the, over, the overarching narrative, and it's something that Karen's talked about on multiple occasions, is that Giselle likes to get in people's marriages. And I think, honestly, she's proving that point correct. Uh, you know, I think the stuff that happened with Wendy last season is uh, very much validated in terms of what she's doing with Candace. Um, but basically, she then tries to bring... The, keep in mind, this is also months after this happened, by the way. Giselle's been sitting on this to bring this out onto camera. They ha- They eventually uh she confronts her on camera and also the the thing that always frustrated me with it is that partly she's implying to certain people that oh chris you know didn't know what he was doing but he should still apologize because he just didn't think about the optics of it or whatever and then in other conversations she's implying well i i've been around a lot of men who who you know have tried to get it in the past he's a sneaky link he called him a sneaky link and like those are two very different things. And well, I mean, like it always is with Giselle, it's however it needs to be interpreted to fit her current narration of the events. Sure. And, but Candace uh, had that amazing fourth wall breaking moment where she just looks straight into the camera. It's like, what is this? We're not doing this. And she was so smart for this. And you better air all of this on the show. <laughs> yeah, She's like, I'm, I know this game. I know what's been happening. I'm not going to play into this and I'm going to make a point to sh- to show the world that this is a sh- you know a structural thing. Um and it continues when you also get Ashley involved who Ashley has been trying to 
you know, be more friendly with Candace in the past or, or in the, in the recent past of the season, but then starts bringing up her friend who I'm said sorry. that Chris was hitting on her at an event, which has been completely refuted by everything at that event. And like, like literally the cameras, the same cameras, by the way, that caught her ex-husband, Groby McGroperson. Yes. Um, on camera who, ugh, disgusting man. I'm so glad he's not on the show anymore. Um, but the, those same cameras have vindicated Chris. They have shown that he was not doing what her friend was saying that he was doing. What is Candace calling her? Oh, Sesame uh, Street. The oh Sesame my Street God. character. Oh, I love her reads this year. As much as like, again, I, you know, Candace is one to go after someone's looks, but I, I, I don't think it's wrong for her. And then also Mia validated as well. It's like, Let's not say that. Like, also, there have been some great side by sides with her and some Sesame Street characters, and <laughs> I'm not saying they're related. I'm just saying you might check that uh, ancestry. But to that point, like, what if the cameras weren't there? What if the cameras didn't pick up on what, they, like, and didn't wasn't able to expose the lies? Then we would have had a whole season speculating on whether Chris did this or not, and that's the frustrating element of it is playing into that sort of like ambiguity of it all because in this case at least there were cameras but with Giselle's case you know there's nothing to validate what happened there's no third party or no anything to to get like the definitive story but good on production for for um fact checking this stuff in the moment on the screen yeah like they literally as um what's her face sesame street is um telling these outright lies and mischaracterizations of events they're literally playing back the footage in the same moment and with the lower third saying not what happened absolutely did not happen and then trying to loop eddie into it as well wendy's husband like come on this is getting ridiculous absolutely ridiculous but also um the fact that it is you know it's one thing when giselle does it but then when you bring ashley in it's like okay this feels coordinated and speaking of what also I think is a little bit of coordination. The other thing, big thing from this season is Karen and Sharice. Ooh, Sharice has returned, y'all. <laughs> it's been something. Sharice um, from season one, um, coming back as a friend of this season, being brought in seemingly by Robin. And literally, Robin is so messy for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like setting up this whole idea of like, well, who's the real grand drama? It's Karen. It's Karen. Like, like can we stop with this? Sharice like, ain't been here for like six seasons. Shut and, up. And credit to Karen. Karen has made a, I, I think this last episode, she kind of broke a little bit, but like Karen has been giving her nothing this whole season. And it's so, it's making Giselle and Robin so angry that, the, that Karen honestly, is not giving her anything. I don't blame Karen for going off like, she, I don't, was it in this last episode or yes. is it in the previews for the next episode? No, she it, completely goes off on Sharice and it, I don't blame her because she has been putting up with it and just putting up with it and staying quiet and just venting a little bit in confessionals. And that's been it. But you push a woman so far and all of a sudden Dane goes to damn. In the words of Karen, I don't fuck with that woman. I don't <laughs> fuck with that woman. <laughs> So good. But no, so they've had issues for like, I think like five years because of the stuff that Sharice brought to that run reunion about her, Karen 
making out with blue eyes and and getting with Ray or or getting uh sleeping out away from Ray. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But at this point, like, do we care? No. Do we honestly care? Like, Karen and Ray can do whatever the hell they want in their relationship. I, I, Ray is, I'm fully in the belief that Ray just lets Karen do whatever she wants. Honestly. And, and I mean, they've even talked about it, at least to a certain extent, that she's allowed to have arm candy and certain things at events and whatnot. You know, because Ray doesn't want to go all of that. Does Ray care? Like, does Ray, like, you know, and, you know, Katie Ross can grab her, grab his butt this season and all this like they have a fun a fun relationship that works for them who cares at the end of the day honestly when are we going to stop judging people's marriages and just let them be who they are <laughs> like honestly stay realize, out of people's ma- marriages you realize this is the real housewives we're talking about right oh right you right we kind of have to be in it but no like Teresa's just been trying for a fight with karen this whole season like god forbid karen didn't invite her to her one woman show Ugh. and you I know. wouldn't want her there either, considering how the other people that were actually on the cast treated her at that show, which by all accounts for people that were actually there, that show went a lot better than what we were shown on screen. They edited it to, to really shade Karen. They're, they're, I mean, producers are on Karen a lot. It couldn't have been that bad. Jasmine Masters is fabulous. Sure. So, like, I know she showed up and turned out. So, I'm not even... But, uh, you know... As Karen's, the fact that Karen this past episode called her has been leprechaun looking for a pot of gold. <laughs> um, but it's so clear that Therese wants a storyline to get back on the show. And, you know, I guess good for her, but I feel like she should be focusing on anything else other than that to try to, because anything where it's not her trying to like mess with Karen is really boring yeah. at the end of the day. Well, speaking of people who have non-traditional uh, marriage <laughs> things going oh, on, God. let's talk about Mia and the huge blow up with uh, Wendy and uh, the huge blow up with Jacqueline, her friend of this season. So this, uh, and the fact that this started, well, going into this season on Twitter, that weird thing of Mia posting uh, that video of Jacqueline, like beating up her ex-husband or something like that. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Goodness. Well, and the fa- like that just before the season even started and the fact that we see this whole saga of her friendship with Jacqueline, it's like, what is happening? Um, I guess obviously the big thing with, well, I was going to say the big thing was the fight with Wendy, but then we also had cancer gate in the beginning of the season. Oh, geez. Which just like the cancer, no cancer. The, the boldness of Giselle. <laughs> As my, like, I get it that, that it's what people were thinking. Like, I agree with people being like, get off of Giselle. The dialogue online was whether or not Mia actually did have cancer because of the vagueness. Yeah, of the but post. she was crass with it. You don't, you don't, you don't go up to a person at an up, event and say, hey, is this cancer? No cancer. Especially with something as serious as cancer. Like, you just, you go, hey, I was confused about what you posted. Can you clarify whether or not you actually do have cancer or not? Oh, no? Wonderful. So you had a scare. Fabulous. I'm glad it's not cancer. Clearly, it took three seconds and no effort to say that. Right. But then things sort of progress and stuff like that. And then we get to their uh, cast trip to Miami. And, oh, my God. Peter Thomas is such a stunt queen. I am so, like, I... I think we were more fans of Peter when when he was on Atlanta with Cynthia, uh, Cynthia. But like, 
he is so messy and so and wants to, he Nini was right. Patricia, Patricia. Nini was right. Stay out of women's business. Um, and it, you know, they go to his restaurant and he's working on this project with Wendy to start a bar, and he's claiming that Wendy ghosted him. And Wendy is refuting this, and she has text messages to kind of prove it. I, well, I honestly, her, honestly, Wendy is a super professional woman. I'm not questioning whether she actually showed up to meetings and communicated properly. She's a college professor. Like, she knows how to stay on top of her stuff. Sure. But they basically decide to go to Peter, go to Bar One in Miami, which wasn't coordinated at all. And Mia <laughs> is so in this... For whatever reason, she's she keeps saying that her and Gordon are like almost like family with Peter or whatever, and like which we find out later could be a little bit deeper. <laughs> um, but then they get into this confrontation, and Mia brings up the stuff with Peter at the table, and they just start they start fighting normally, and just out of nowhere, Mia throws that drink like unprompted. Like, I feel like I like Mia. There are times where I think Mia brings a good amount to the show, but also I feel like she's constantly always looking for that housewives moment. Oh, clearly. I feel like she went into that dinner knowing that she was going to throw that water on Wendy at some point, and she was just waiting for it to escalate to that yeah. point. And then uh, we won't even get into the whole dialogue of like the hypocrisy of that. And because I feel like the big discussion from that fight is like Giselle and Robin and like, you know, whether they are unfair to Wendy, which I think they are. And, you know, the the hypocrisy of it all and trying to hold Karen accountable for it, which is ridiculous. Like saying that Karen should have, you know, tried to tamp it down, but they were sitting there egging it on at the table and filming it for their own enjoyment, trying to say they were filming it to keep people accountable as if there wasn't an entire camera crew there. Like, And also to, the, to defuse the situation, but also pick a side. Right. How does that, like... Whatever. It, it's a long story. But that happens. But then w- this last couple episodes, we've been seeing the sort of like, l- you know, the lasting stuff of this thing with me and Jacqueline, who are like lifelong best friends. Uh, Jacqueline's family took me in as a foster kid. Um, like they have a weird relationship, but, th- but then act as though like all the hints that they're implying about how weird their relationship is, like everyone's reading into. Which it's like, you guys are basically implying that you guys, like, pass around Gordon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's real. Mm, or it, pass around Jacqueline. I'm not quite sure how. I mean. Either way. Either way. Like, there's ja- some. Like, Mia bought Jacqueline a car. And, like, it's, it's just a lot. Um, and then this last episode on their trip to Mexico, like, they blow up on the plane, apparently. And about their parenting skills and how Mia has to basically take care of Jacqueline's kids and stuff like that. And honestly, I was kind of more on Mia's side in the beginning, but then when I thought about it a little bit more, I do think it's a little frustrating of how Mia talks about being a foster kid and like sort of like, you know, needing a village to sort of survive and then not giving that to Jacqueline's kids. I can see being a little frustrating. And then they blow up at the hotel and Mia tells uh, Jacqueline to close her legs to married men. Again. Never st- heard that line before. <laughs> like, you can't just take Nene Leak's lines. It's just, come on. Um, and then Jacqueline blows up on her and is really upset. This is uh, a lot. 
It's it's really a lot and and too much in my opinion. Oh, 1000%. Um so we are going to take another quick break uh to give give you some messages from our sponsors. Uh but when we come back we will be speaking about the amazing movie Megan. Be right back. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And I'm the Riz. And, and you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the Wrestling Man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back to A Gay and His NB. We are going to um, move on to speaking about this, you know, little movie that came out this week. Um, this past weekend, named Megan. Um, Movie of the year. Uh, honestly, I mean, it came out week into the year, but honestly, I will. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. It's it's movie of the year. This is fabulous. We haven't been to the theater in a while, and like this was the, this pulled us out of our houses for a reason to get down and see it because, yeah, the. The whole marketing of it all and sort of everything leading up to it, it really, it, I was really glad that it lived up to the hype. And I was also really glad that it didn't, I mean, as much as the trailer tried to make it look like it was a traditional tra- slasher film, um, it really wasn't. It wasn't really scary at all. When you go into it at the mindset of camp and comedy, you really, I mean... It's got the tension there, but it it's not horror. I would consider it more thriller than anything. Like, I mean, I wasn't even. I mean, the thrilling moments were comedy for me. Sure. I mean, it, I I would say that um, you know it's really not. It, to me, it is similar to, but still less scary than a sleepaway camp. Sure. And its level of camp and. Um, and all of that, but I still thought Sleepaway Camp was had its scary moments and had its tension that I thought was a little bit thicker. Um, Megan, I don't think really got to that point. I think it was just funny the whole way through. Yeah, and I'm not a big horror buff. No, neither I, am I. I'm not a huge horror fan at all. But I think there was also more of a message behind the movie than anything that I think actually was really well said and real and well put. Um, to in a way where I just looked at it more as a stru- as a structural movie than a, a specific horror genre, um, and the campiness of it all that. <laughs> so the 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 I think I talked about this with you, but the the writer of the film uh, was basically asked in an interview in the press or whatever about how oh, asking her why it's like such a resonating movie with gay people and the uh, her giving some answer about like. 
Well, it's about chosen family, and that's something that gay people can really no. It's with. because the doll has a resting bitch face, and she and did a TikTok dance. And did a TikTok dance, and she follows that RBF up with the best bitchy one-liners, and she just like like no sells it to the camera. There's no indication that that was supposed to be funny in the film. Like it is just, it's beautiful in like its delivery and. And good on them also going back to like, like I'm so thankful, like thinking back on it, the fact that they didn't CGI her. Oh yeah. That they actually made a point to like focus on prosthetics and doing something that was actually lived as opposed to like, because I feel like that's something that we really need to get back to in terms of film. And the girl that played Megan did an amazing job making her movements still look animatronic. Right. There was still a a air of this thing is not human. And for a human to actually pull off that uncanny valley is... Uh, that That is amazing acting. And, and I'm looking forward to what she does more in her career because she's very young. So she's hopefully going to have a long career ahead of her. And was able to ba- balance sort of the uncanny valley of-ness of it with some more like serious elements where it was also very believable. Like, it, like the, the, the points that they wanted to make stick out and be more poignant, I think, worked. And, and, and that's really commendable. Oh, do you mean like um, Megan singing um, how many different songs in this? <laughs> this was almost a Glee episode. <laughs> no, honestly, at this point. Um, what did you think about, because I know there was a lot of discussion about, apparent, like they originally were planning for it to be rated R, and that they had to basically cut down a lot of the scenes and, and refilm stuff um, to get it to a PG-13 rating and kind of cut down on some of the gore. I don't even think it necessarily needed it. I wouldn't mind seeing that version, to be um, honest. But. I would, because from what I have heard, they have, most of what they took out was um, had to do with the dog. Uh, and that easily will push a movie into our territory. And I'm kind of glad they took that out and just kind of hand waved a lot of that violence, at least the violence towards the dog. Yeah. The violence towards the uh, doll, however. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like talk about some bonkers banana pants effects. This was fabulous. Like that, that, Person in a silicone mask, meaning to be a robot, clearly turned into a sock puppet. And it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen on screen. (laughs) And she was flopping around like she had absolutely no structure to her body. And it was was so funny. I, I was screaming laughing at that. That was hilarious and it wasn't supposed to be a funny moment i don't think but it, was, but it was great having a full theater too of people also laughing like, yeah like like no one took themselves really too seriously like watching this i mean well. there was an entire family of like five and six year old kids in there which honestly i i, I normally think sounds crazy when it comes to like horror movies and stuff like that but on it, I saw some someone who was reviewing this saying that like it could be a really good intro movie for people wanting to get into horror, and I actually do think that. I think a child could probably watch this. And the fine. fact that they backed it down to PG thirteen really made it more accessible to do that. Yeah. Um, whereas if they had left it at the gore level that it was originally shot at, it would not have been that accessible. 
And honestly, like you were saying, I don't think it needed it. I think everything was conveyed in the the way it needed to be conveyed. I, you it's don't also miss it's, it. It's not going to have the Chucky effect where no. you're go- where I don't think anyone's going to fear Megan in no. terms of you know anything deep seated. But I, I mean, she's not any more scary than Regina George from Mean Girls. No. Like, I mean, that's honestly where most of her character I think comes from. But do you think it gets any awards? I hope so. It should. I, d- I don't want to hold out hope. But horror rarely does. Horror yeah. like um, like uh, fantasy and superhero movies and stuff like that is critically ignored when it comes to award season and whatnot. And I that is awful because some of the best effects and some of the best acting honestly happens in those movies because to make it to convince an audience that you have magical powers or to convince an audience that you have, you know, that you're a robot, believably, that is amazing acting. And that is something that you can't just do. Like not every actor can do that. That is a niche skill and it should be recognized. I hope someone can make the strong enough argument and and really push for that to get, into a, an award season and really get at least some recognition because I think it, it it's earned it in many ways and and credit to the marketing team as well because I think also that was a big you know you know I think there was like four they got like forty two million on opening weekend oh yeah it's been crazy successful yeah and I think part of that also has been a part of continuing that and keeping that hype up has been have you seen the uh the new Megan Twitter account? Yes, where it's she amazing. will go and <laughs> anybody that like has any negative review of the movie, she will literally go in and edit their <laughs> their tweet and retweet it as a positive review. <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's done in a video, so it's like her like doing VO like sad Sad, you should have said this instead. Yes, you'll learn. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It's going to get sequeled. It's going to get a, a, a... Oh, it better get sequeled. It's got to be. I will be there on opening night for the next one. It's, oh my gosh, fabulous movie. Yeah, so definitely, please, please go check it out. It's, it's a real fun time. Even if you don't like horror, please go check this out. Honestly. I don't like scary movies at all. This movie is not going to give you any sort of nightmare fuel. Um, there are two jump scares um, in sort of the second act of the movie, um, but you see them coming a mile ahead. So if that's something that strongly affects you, you can easily avoid it if you want to. Um, so don't let that stop you from seeing this movie. It is a amazingly evil good time. Um, and I, I want to go see it again. I haven't seen enough of it yet. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on A Gay and His Envy. Tune in next week for more of our recaps and hot takes. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. And check us out on our social media at A Gay and His Envy on all the platforms. A special shout out to Shane Ivers who wrote Pulsar, the song we're using for our theme. For my husband, Eamon, I'm Merlin, and we're out. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.